Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, October 14th. Woo! Again, what a weekend of tennis we were treated to this weekend as tennis fans across the spectrum. Just a variety of great things for viewers to experience. You start on the ATP Tour, I mean, in Shanghai this weekend. You know at Cracked Rackets, we are fans of the next-gen guys. And even though it was some 23-year-olds, 22-year-olds, 21-year-olds performing in Shanghai to see Medvedev versus Tsitsipas, Zverev versus Berrettini, Medvedev versus Zverev in the final, that was our dream come true of course, 15-year-old Coco Gauff, also a champion today. She gets her first WTA title in Linz. We've got the Fairfield Challenger going on. ITA All-Americans in the background. So much to talk about. That's why I am so happy to bring on today's guest. You all will recognize his work that he does for us here at Crack Rack. It's our favorite writer, the former four-star recruit on TennisRecruiting.net. We affectionately refer to him as Matt the Crack Stokowiak, although today I will refer to him as an eventual Packers losing fan as they take on my Lions tonight on Monday Night Football, and I apologize in advance for that loss, Matt, but hey, well, welcome back to the mini break. We will see about that, man. Uh, you want to put a little friendly wager on this game? A loser host next Monday's episode. <laughs> we, we should do it, man. I, I'm, I'm confident in my Packers right now, man, so we'll see how that goes, but um, speaking of tennis, man, yeah, it was a great weekend. I know, obviously, in Shanghai, I know you were thrilled that we had four, uh, quote-unquote, next-gen guys in the semis, not one of the big three in there. Um, you mentioned Coco Golf as well, and then, you know, all the college stuff going on, which, um, at the time of recording this, we still don't even know uh, all the results. So, yeah, it's been fun, man. Great weekend so far. If the Lions win, sans any money bet, I, you just have to come on and say it's a big four, not a big three. And with that in mind, I do want to quickly just plug the podcast Jamie and I did a little bit ago, live video on YouTube, which you can find at our account, Crack Rackets, on YouTube. But we just did our first of the best of the decade series, breaking down, looking back at this past decade of tennis, given that it's 2019, 2020, just on the horizon, a new decade of tennis upon us. So the first topic we did, best AT seasons of the decade. Hint, a lot of big four talk. Uh, uh, one of our most spirited debates, the difference between a Nadal and a Murray season. I don't want to spoil that for you, but listeners, go check that out. But yeah, we didn't have that this weekend in Shanghai. Uh, let's start there because to me, with all due respect to Coco Golf, as great as that was, that's the tournament of the weekend where we start. I mean, again, it, it, for me, it's also just so nice to have someone to talk to because given that it's Shanghai, a lot of the time last week I did these during my lunch break, so it was 
just me breaking down results, but let's start with that semifinal. In fact, Maddie, I believe we did a game of possible or Alex, you're effing crazy, where I said someone (laughs) not named Federer Djokovic will win this tournament. And to your credit, you said yes. I think Daniil Medvedev is the other player capable of that. You did make that a pronouncement, but how surprised were you to see these four young players make the semifinal of this Masters event? I mean, I was definitely surprised. I mean, you'll remember that last pod that we did. I mean, I'll take the L on that one. You know what? <laughs> I said you were pretty crazy. I, I will admit, I'll take the L there. But um, yeah, PowerPoint. No, was... I'm pretty. Cr- don't don't worry. It's one again. I get one of two hundred right. You know what? And that's I can live with those odds. I can. <laughs> so that's why I don't feel too bad. <laughs> um, but no, man. I mean, honestly. When when I saw, you know, Djokovic go down and obviously fed, I, I I was actually really happy that it was these four that were in the semifinals. Um, I mean, these are four of, if not like my, with the exception of FAA, obviously, who I, I'm, I'm a big FAA fan. But these four, I, I love all these guys. And so for them to make it to the final four... Great opportunity, and I, I was I was happy to see it, genuinely. Um, I didn't think it was going to happen, but it was a great tournament for all these guys, man. And, of course, you know, it started off with that Tsitsipas-Medvedev uh, rivalry, which, you know, isn't really much of a rivalry. Now, is it, Gruskin? I mean, I feel like we, you know, a couple years ago or even last year, we thought these two, you know, there was some bad blood between them. We saw in Miami last year. Um, you know, I think that may be in the past, but man, when you look at the head to head, I mean, it's, it's just, it's all Medvedev. I do want to talk about that semifinal for sure, but just to, to end this point, because I wouldn't have asked the question if I didn't want to answer it as well. You know that, Maddie. Um, but in terms of these four guys making it, you look at the live rankings right now. Zverev, number six. Tsitsipas, number seven. We've got Berrettini at number 11. And then, of course, Daniil Medvedev all the way up at a career high, number four. You look at the live race in the ATP. Uh, Tsitsipas has clinched his bound the year on finals, number six. But you've got Zverev at seven, Berrettini at eight, obviously Medvedev. Medvedev all the way up at number three, having clinched his spot as well. It wasn't just cool that we got four top 10 players in in a semifinal weekend. It was, again, we got four top 10 players and none of them were named Djokovic, Federer, Nadal, or Murray. And it's just like, how often does that happen where not only is it four non of them, but it's also four young guys that are so intriguing that could be, we talk about best of the 2010s, these are four guys you'd put at the top of your list for the ATP in terms of the best players looking out into the 2020s. And so it was great to see them face off at this stage. I mean, you talk about the guys they beat to set the scene for that Medvedev Tsitsipas match. Tsitsipas on the week first match, he knocks off FA six and six, as you mentioned, gets that monkey off his back. Beats another talented next gen guy in Hubie Hercatch, who's been playing obviously so well since he won that title in Winston Salem. Uh, he beats him seven five three six seven six. Her catch on the year in the ATP race. I mean, he has been a top thirty five player. He's number thirty four right now in that race. So another great win. And then Tsitsipas does the unthinkable, right? Coming, he beats uh, Novak Djokovic, coming off of a dominant run in Tokyo where he won his first title there, and he beats him three six seven five six three. Fights off the adversity, you know, comes back from a set down, back to back three set matches, but a ton of seven six sets, uh, seven six sets throughout. 
And so, you know, for Tsitsipas, who made a final last week as well in Beijing, you had to wonder how his legs were feeling. But for Daniil Medvedev, who wins this match, 7-6-7-5, who Medvedev, I believe, has now, what is it, like 20 straight sets, maybe 18 straight sets in terms of on the ATP Tour. He won a title in St. Petersburg without dropping a set uh, uh, two weeks ago, and then he comes here, wins the title without dropping the set. I mean, his run of six finals, maybe seven finals now, four titles since the end of Wimbledon, it's probably the best four-month stretch we've seen from any under-25 guy. Oh, for sure. Yeah, 100%, man. And just the word that I think of now every time I see him in these tournaments is just consistency. He is the most consistent player on tour at the moment. He just is. I mean, any tournament that he enters— He's going to the fi- he's going to be in the final. I mean, that's just the fact of the matter. It's crazy, um, but but he's that good. I mean, he's four in the world for a reason. We've seen it now over and over and over again over the last few months. I mean, the guy is as legit as as anybody out there, you know. And I'm telling you, man, I love when Sitsipas and Medvedev play. Like that's just that's a matchup that is so intriguing to me. I love. You know, the contrast in styles with Tsitsipas, his one-handed backhand, a little more variety in his game. Medvedev is just going to sit back there, grind away. I mean, it's a great matchup, but look at the head-to-head. Medvedev gets him every single time, and I just don't know if you're Stefano Tsitsipas. I mean, he has got to come up. He's got to find a way to get past Medvedev somehow because, I mean, obviously these two are going to be seeing each other for you know, could be 10, 10 plus years. Yeah. So a lot to take there. Do you want my hot take first or my match analysis first? Uh, let's go match analysis first and then we'll go hot take. Of course you're feeling kind of give you a little chaser before we get to the shot. That's fair. Yeah. For Daniil Medvedev, it's death by a thousand paper cuts, especially on a hard court. I mean, that's so true. Now you think you had a ball that you should approach on that. It's going to be a tough pass for him. Nope. He's freaking six, six. He moves like a gazelle on the court. He's going to take your approach shot early and just beat you to the spot down the line. I saw him take literally a Tsitsipas approach on the rise as a backhand down the line and beat Tsitsipas to the spot. There's maybe three guys on tour who can do that right now. And then again, he's six foot f***ing six. I mean, like, you think... um, Oh, like maybe his serve will be a little bit weaker because he he doesn't really have a huge weapon that stands out. Nope. Makes 64% of his first serves and wins 84% of those points. 67% of his second serve points. Saves four of the five break points he faces. I mean, comes up with big first serves when he needs them. Can change up the rate. You know, isn't uncomfortable serving and volleying to get Pass out of a rhythm. Isn't uncomfortable moving forward to put Pass on his back foot. And obviously for Pass who wants to play attack, 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 who wants to open up down the line opportunities for him to approach behind and then be at the net. It's just a really tough matchup for him. There's not a lot of things he can, like, that Medvedev does poorly enough for Tsitsipas to routinely attack. And, I mean, this will get into the hot take, I suppose, to Westoff, get the sizzle ready. But for me, you look at these three young guys, and just to put them in perspective, and I don't really know how to typecast Sphere yet, but if Tsitsipas, and I'm not saying results-wise, purely stylistically, let me say that again, purely stylistically, if Tsitsipas is this generation's Federer, Medvedev's the Djokovic. Medvedev's the, oh my god, I'm going to have to play 100% for three and a half hours, and I can't take a point off against this guy because he's so relentless and just makes so many different balls and hurts me in so many different ways. 
of this generation. And when it works on a hard court, it's just really f***ing hard to beat them. Yeah. Yeah, no, the, I actually, I really like that comparison, man. That's fair. Really? No I hot mean, take sizzle? I mean, that's, no, that's totally fair. When you're talking about the style of play and how that, you know, their tactics on the court, that's exactly right. I mean, Medvedev equals Djokovic. That's how they play. I mean, he's going to track down every ball. He's going to hit shots deep in the court, make it extremely difficult for you to, like you said, attack any part of his game. Sitsipas, obviously, you know, easy comparison to Federer with the one-hander, the slice, you know, his variety, the way that Likes he can, to move yes, forward. exactly. So no, I like, I like your call on that. I mean, obviously they have a long way to go, be, you know, before they achieve, you know, everything that those guys have throughout their careers. But, um, you know, w- speaking of just their, their tennis games, yeah, that's exactly right. And, and you talked about uh, Medvedev's ability to hit depth on the ball. It's also the fact that he hits depth from uncomfortable positions himself. It doesn't matter that he's six feet behind the baseline. He's getting the ball within a foot of your baseline, so it's just it becomes that much harder for you to hit. The real hot take sizzle, and Westoff, give me a sizzle here after I'm done, but is that Medvedev's the Djokovic, Tsitsipas is the Federer, and Zverev is the Nadal in that they're both physical marvels and can just do things on a tennis court so relentless you're like oh my god that's a talent like you're just like i i recognize that is ridiculous just physically different than anything i've seen before because that is the way nadal attacks that is the way zverev hits his ball you're just like i've never seen someone six six move like that and hit backhands like that down the line on the run it's incredible but yeah westoff give me a slight hot take sizzle there um but yeah i i for for Tsitsipas, it seems inevitable that he'll face Medvedev in the big stages of tournaments to come. And it's, you're right. There's got to be, I mean, Roger Federer, if the Djokovic-Federer comparison holds, Federer's had success against Djokovic, obviously. Now it's different context. Uh, these two are a little bit closer in age. These two are going to have to rise to the top against one another, much more so than Federer, who was already established when Djokovic started making his claim. Uh, but yeah, there's no denying right now. Tsitsipas got over the FAA hump. There's a big Medvedev hump for him to climb. But at the same time, Daniil Medvedev plays outstanding tennis to put himself ahead of Tsitsipas. Yeah, no, that's fair. I just, at this point, if, to me, to my eye, when I'm watching these guys play, if Medvedev plays to that level, I mean, to the level that we've seen here over the past few months, I, I just, I don't think Tsitsipas can beat him. I just don't. I don't see it's it's kinda like Joker where That's a hot take. I, I don't know, man. I'm I'm telling you, it's it's like Novak. When Novak is playing to the level that we know he can play, he's not gonna lose. I'm sorry, you know that. He's just not. He's the favorite at every tournament. If 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 Novak is in peak form, he's he's gonna win. Okay. And and here's the problem I have with that statement, not to cut you and I apologize for cutting you off, but let's take it back. Three months ago, right? Right after, right before Wimbledon, because Tsitsipas fell off at Wimbledon, Medvedev started to rise at Wimbledon. You would have said, head to head aside, you would not have this concern for Tsitsipas, right? You'd be like, well, I saw plenty from him actually this first two thirds. Like, he, this is the guy. It probably goes Virev, Tsitsipas, FAA in some pecking order, then Medvedev, right? So for me, it's just too soon, too early, even though they've now played five matches. And you're right. That's concerning, and you can see on the court the way Medvedev attacks Tsitsipas makes him uncomfortable. But I, I don't think there's a mental block there. Like, I have no doubt in my mind that Tsitsipas will he'll have to play really well, but I think he will get over a Medvedev hump. 
I mean, he right, and by getting over the hump, do you mean just beating him one time? Or, or yeah, he'll beat him. Yeah, yeah, he'll beat him. I agree with that. I, I think he'll beat him, but but I think if this is a rivalry that that we continue to see for ten plus years, I think Medvedev owns it, man. I really do. I just I I think there is a mental. I think there's a slight mental um, advantage that I just I give the nod to Daniil Medvedev in that situation, and I think if he plays. To the to the level that he can, I just I think he's going to come out and win that match against Stefano Tsitsipas more times than he's not many more times. Okay, he, I'm going to give this t- one last counter head to head. Medvedev's five and zero, oh, but here are their scores: two six six four six two. Medvedev wins six four six three four six six three. Medvedev wins six four three six six three. Medvedev wins six two one six six four. Medvedev wins seven six seven five. Medvedev wins. Tsitsipas is right there. Right, it's not like these are blowouts. These are really close matches. So I think it's, I think it's once he gets win number one, then the levy might break a little bit and things will start to get closer to five hundred. Yeah, it could be. I it'll be fun to see. I mean, I'm interested to see every time these guys play. I'm tuning in mm-hmm. because I mean, you know, it's must see TV in my opinion. But right now, man, I look Medvedev. I mean, not even just against Sitsipas. I mean, you, you can make the argument Medvedev mentally right now is just. He's killing it, man, over anybody. Yeah, there's no denying that. I mean, he, he's he been—these past six weeks have been incredible, and we talked about it a little bit on the GSP as well, so listeners, go give that up, because he's—this is this or Zverev's 2017, probably the best next-gen season of the decade thus far, but if you want to hear more on that topic, again, go check out the Great Shot podcast. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. See, this is why I missed you, because we just did 16, 15 minutes on Daniil Medvedev, Stefano Tsitsipas, and we haven't even talked about the other half of the draw, nor Coco Goff, nor the many other things we want to cover. So to quickly go through the other semifinal for Alexander Zverev to beat Roger Federer, follow that up with a 6-3-6-4 win over Matteo Berrettini, given the struggles we saw from Zverev for, through the first two-thirds of the year, that he rebounds a little bit at the U.S. Open, obviously plays a great Labor Cup, makes the semifinals last week in Beijing before losing to Tsitsipas. Now beats Federer, beats Berrettini to make the final here. More importantly, you look at his run to the final. Along the way, he dropped what? I Maybe one set, if any. Uh, you look for him. No, I, I think he dropped the one set to Roger Federer, 7-6, that second set, but that was it. And like you look at the way he's playing, and it's just, look at the stat line in this Vera-Berrettini match. 11 aces against one double fault. Six weeks ago, those numbers are flipped, right? It's one ace, 11 double faults. He makes 81% of his first serves in this match, wins 89% of those points, 34 of 38, only has to play nine points on his second serve and win six of those nine points. No break points faced. He broke Berrettini, who obviously U.S. Open semifinal was successful himself, given that He's number nine right now in the race to the year-end finals. You know, big hitter, wants to protect that serve. 
And Zverev just took it to him. And, like, the confidence we have seen from Zverev, a lot of people like to attribute it to that Laver Cup run. Anytime you can be like, it was Federer and Nadal. They just imparted their wisdom so well onto him. And it's by osmosis. And it's like, no, that's not really how it works. But there is no denying the fact that Alex Zverev has been the most confident he has felt in 2019 over these past two weeks. I mean, it definitely looks like it, and, and and I have to give him credit. I mean, the way that he came back after dropping that second set against Federer, first of all, I thought for sure um, after that second set he was going to be done. I, I thought he was going to go down down tank at that point in the third set. He did not. Blue that match was, points. Yeah, exactly. Blue like five match points, man. It was unbelievable. So Also against Rublev the day before. It was up 6-0-3-0, barely scrapped out that 7-6 second set. Yeah, I mean, it was – I was – highly impressed uh with with Zverev in, in that in those couple of matches and then you know against Berrettini I mean I think he just he he put it all together and he played I think that's so so it's, well. cut you. it's the best matchup for him right he's like I get to make returns that you're going to provide me pace and you want me to hit passing shots all match he's like sign me up I'm in yeah, and, and Berrettini poses problems, man. That's the thing. I mean, you got to be sharp, and, and Zverev was very, very sharp, beginning with the serve, right? I mean, we remember the U.S. Open. Ugh, it was it was horrible. And and now, I mean, when he's winning points, you know, and he's winning service games like he, like he did in this match with Berrettini um, and throughout the tournament, yeah, no, that's the Zverev that I, I always clamor for, man. That's the guy that I want to see – all the time, consistently, like, show me that Sasha Zverev. And, you know, I'm a big fan. So, yeah, this was this semifinal match was was really, really good because you know how much I love Berrettini. So. I, I did want to mention on the Berrettini note, just for him, again, I mentioned in the live rankings, he's at number 11, a career high in the ATP race. He's been literally a top 10 player, number eight right now in the standings. If it were to end today, he would qualify for the year-end finals what a jump from the 23-year-old this season. This isn't meant to take anything away. We're, we're so impressed with Zverev's performance because he was able to make it look so easy against a Berrettini that has played outstanding tennis throughout, you know, maybe like three tournaments where there were blips throughout this season. But just, you know, he's got the weapon. He's got the big serve, big forehand. It didn't matter. Zverev neutralized everything. I just think when you provide him pace and spin, given his height, given his ability to absorb and redirect balls, it was such a good matchup for him. And it's just like, it was the performance you wanted to see out of Alex Zverev rising to that occasion. For him, this is another thing. And I apologize for swearing. I think this is going to be my third F-bomb of the pod. But if you beat Roger Federer and you say, hey, it's my f-ing time now, you better win that next match. Like, I don't care that he lost the tournament. You better follow that next up with a win. And for him to follow it up with a straight set win, it shows jump from Alex Zverev. You're right. It's the type of result we wanted to see. Now, heading into the final, I think we both would have agreed, and I'm sure Vegas did at the time as well, that Daniil Medvedev was the heavy favorite. And for him to win 6-4-6-1... Again, it's not like Daniil Medvedev is rested. How many matches he's played? Over 75 matches probably on the year thus far. But for Zverev to play back-to-back weeks, go semifinals, then finals, emotional, um, given like the, you know, the fact that these are two of his better results on this season, just how he's feeling physically, mentally, versus a Daniil Medvedev who came in without dropping a set. I don't know. Did you see a Zverev letdown in the final, or to you, is it just, I, I think I'd probably slide on this way as well, not to give you a loaded question, but I mean, Medvedev, it's just, 
Like, it, it's really Djokovician. And just like, I don't know how you win a point against him. Yeah, mental, man. I, the bottom yeah. line is Daniil Medvedev is stronger mentally than, than Zarebis. That's just, <laughs> that's the fact of the matter. There's no debate. Um, there, There's no question about it. All you have to do is just watch that final. Medvedev, man, the way that he goes about his business, it, it, it is, it's a lot. I hate to keep bringing this up, but it is a lot like Djokovic where they just, they get in that zone and they're just out there and you can tell it's like, oh my God, man, this guy is like not, He's not going to give up a point. It's just yeah. – it's scary for I, the opposition. I think I think the reason we keep harping on it, it's the combination of physicality plus mental strength. Right. It's not only – because a lot of players can have some incredible gets on a point – you know, on a random point basis. It's that the sustained – you think that was a passing shot? Oh, you thought you could approach behind that? <laughs> well, watch what I do with this forehand pass cross court. I know it's hideous, but I'm gonna flick it right by you. You're just and you're just like how you're just like how do you do that? Yeah, it's it's crazy, man. And again, I I don't know Zverev. He it, it's going to be tough. I, it's the same thing that I said about Sitsipas. I mean, when when they get into these matchups with Medvedev. I just don't know uh, unless they play out of their mind. And I mean, they they make no unforced errors and they're just playing the best possible match, serving at 90% first serves, you know, playing big boy tennis, you know, super aggressive where they're making every single shot. I don't know, man, if Medvedev is, is playing ball, I just don't know how these guys are going to beat him. I, I just I think he's too good because he's better mentally as well. That's that's the thing, and they know it. Zverev knows when he's on that court, man. He knows that Medvedev is extremely tough mentally. I'm just waiting for. I think Zverev Medvedev is going to be the modern day, and I hate this comparison because it opens up a lot of doors. But I think it's the modern day Murray Djokovic match. I think it's going to be physical battles. These are two tall players who can move, and who it doesn't matter where they are on the baseline, they can get the ball right back on the baseline with depth and keep you back at neutral. And they're also two excellent returners. We talked about Medvedev being six six. His ability to just neutralize the point on the return. It's you know he may not hit a bomb of a turn although sometimes he does take the ball early and you're just like oh so you've got that skill too good to know um especially on the backhand side but I mean he holds zero to four of 17 on second serve points zero to his credit holds Medvedev to 10 of 24 um but I mean it just becomes a physical battle you're like okay how did tennis change from the 1990s to the 2000s people started courts slowed down a little bit people started moving back a little bit more but the game was still pretty quick still want to move forward endpoints at the net well in the 2010s you know the game slowed down even that much more it became even more physical it the, the net became that much less relevant because it's about how long can you survive at the baseline well these two epitomize that right i mean this is going to be baseline struggles just the power the angles all the different things they can produce from the baseline i think aesthetically this is going to be this is one of my favorite matchups on a hard court. I'm upset as Virev didn't bring his A game or at least to the level that Medvedev is because I think that you know backhand to backhands between these two sign me up. Yeah, look, and and here's the only counter that I want to bring to this and and everything that you just talked about was physical strokes and yep. and everything physically. So, let's we can agree that yes, physically I mean, these guys are, are going to be excellent. And, and if they're going to be battling like that physically, what's probably going to be the difference in the match? It's going to be the mental side of the game. And who's mm-hmm. who's stronger there? 
who's significantly stronger there? It's Daniil Medvedev. You know, you brought up Djokovic-Murray. I don't like that comparison because Murray, to me, both Joker and Murray are really, really good mentally. And when I look at Medvedev and Zverev, I see one guy that's extremely good mentally and I see one guy that that is mentally fragile. And, and to me, that's just a big difference, you know, when we're talking about it. Everything that you mentioned, I, I, I believe, is correct from a physical game standpoint. But, man, there there's a lot more to tennis than just that. And that's where I think it's going to be tough for Zverev to, you know, to really do it. I, I do. That's a that, that's a really really good point, and we can end here on Shanghai because you know we, of course we'd go again twenty five minutes. That's why I needed someone to talk about this because I've been dwelling on this all week. So I appreciate you hearing me out and of course responding with uh, vigor as always, Matt. But right now the the list of active players with multiple Masters one thousands titles: Nadal uh, thirty five, Djokovic thirty three, Federer twenty eight, Murray fourteen, and then Zverev with three, Songa with two and Medvedev with two. So Medvedev, again, by winning two Masters at this early of a stage, he's done something that only, you know, excluding Zverev, five players of the older generation currently active were able to do. And that means something, right? That's absolutely something to take note. It sticks with the theme of he has been a top four, you know, the top four, maybe even above player this year, certainly the second, if not best player since Wimbledon on tour. Uh, you look again at the live rankings and just to recap where the, the situation's at in terms of qualifying for the year-end tour, in terms of the race right now, the six guys qualified. Nadal, Djokovic, Medvedev, Federer, Team, Tsitsipas. That's juicy. But then right now, Zverev, number seven after his, making the final. Berrettini, number eight after making the semifinal. Those two guys, RBA, Goffin, Fonini, maybe Monfils and Schwartzman, if they really uh, impress over the next couple of weeks, are the guys really left in that race for the year-end finals. Uh, but with that in mind, any any final ATP thoughts before we move on, Matt? No, I don't think so, man. I think we hit on it. If you had to guess, is 7 and 8 going to be Zverev Berrettini year on finals? Uh, yeah, that's what I want. I mean, I'm really yeah. I'm hoping so because I, I want those two guys in there for sure. So, And then it's like the Big Ten. You do leaders and legends. It's like regardless of ranking, you're like, all right, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Zverev, team, all in one, Nadal, Djokovic, Federer. Uh, or I guess, sorry, Berrettini, Zverev, Tsitsipas, and Medvedev, right. and then team, Federer, Djokovic, Nadal, and be like, all right, and then we'll play the old versus the young to end it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we know it won't go like that, but that would be that that'd be uh, that would be something to see. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, speaking of old versus the young, the young taking over on the WTA tour this week. That is my way of segue into our conversation in Linz, Austria, where 15-year-old Coco Goff was taking the tennis world by storm after she comes at Wimbledon with her results and the U.S. Open. Just the way she has composed herself. Over the back half of this 2018, she wins the very first WTA career uh, title of her young, blossoming career as a lucky loser, I should mention. 6-3-1-6-6-2 over Ostapenko. With this win from Coco Goff, she will now get herself up to around number 70, 71 in the world rankings, and she becomes the youngest player to win a WTA uh, title since Nicole Vitasova won in 2004. There's a flashback for you, Maddie. But in general, Coco Goff this week, you look at some of the wins she rattled off along 
the way. Obviously, Ostapenko in the finals, impressive, but really impressive from her to knock off Kiki Burton 6-4 and four in the quarterfinals, follow that up with a 4-4 four and four win over Petkovic in the semis, and then a 6-3-1-6-6-2 win, as I mentioned here, over Ostapenko. Again, I'm not throwing expectations on her. That seems to be the you know thing you can't do nowadays is never expect Grand Slam titles. But this 15-year-old is the real deal. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's no question about it. We knew this was coming. Um, I, I can't say that I'm shocked that she won this tournament. I mean, we knew. We've seen her now for, for some time. We knew there was going to be a day where, where she would you know take the title like she did today. Um I'm not that surprised. The only thing that I, I think is crazy is that she did win it as a lucky loser, which which does make it a little bit more special because, I mean, there's a chance that she wasn't even going to be playing in the main draw of this event. Um, she gets in as the lucky loser and then obviously takes the title. Yeah, no, she deserves it, man. I, I mean, you mentioned those wins she had over Burtons and, and Petkovic, obviously Ostapenko in the final. Um, she's just... 15 man when does she turn 16 are you sure she's not 16 yet i mean yeah no she's she's still got another God. half year till she turns 16 and you look at the players uh age under 18 right now uh in the rankings it's coco golf number one at 71 katie mcnally number two at 108 american whitney osigway a former cracked interviews guest number 114 at number three America's got the top three and four of the top eight with Haley Baptiste at number eight, number 257, uh, 18 and under women on the WTA tour. Yeah. And there's a, there's a few others that are 18 and over. I mean, we talk about Anna Samova, uh, Kenan. I mean, they're not that much older, right? So, I mean, no, let's, let's, let's advance to 21 and over right, right. now. Well, that's when you start to get over, but we've got Kenan at number two, who's 15 and Samova number 27, number four under, for 21 yeah. and under Coco Goff at eight, Katie McNally at 11, Osigwe at 12. So yeah, we've got the top three under 18 and one, two, three, four, five of the top 12. And, uh, six of the top 16 under 21. Yeah, it's great. No, I mean, obviously, I love that. I love that stat right there. Um, Goffman, in this final, you know, I was watching it, and she just, she was the more, Ostapenko is one of those players, man. It's like she's on or off. When she's on fire, she is awesome. And in the second set, she was. I mean, she she was just blasting balls. Um, You know, Goff was taken aback a little bit. I mean, it was tough, but... Over the course of that entire three-set match, I mean, she was just she was the the steadier, more consistent player. She was uh, she kept her head better mentally. I thought she was better. Ostapenko um, got frustrated in the third set, and yeah, it was just it, it's cool to see, man. I mean, every time she's on, I, I'm watching Coco Golf. It's it's a lot of fun to watch. And it was great to see her on our parent company, Tennis Channel, earlier today. But you talk about, and I'm going to do some advocacy for on-court coaching, you talked about her staying mentally calm in that final. I mean, I think it was 5-2 when her dad came out to talk to her and was like, hey, just stay calm. You know, this is just another practice match in the park. Just focus on yourself. Focus on making this a track meet. Focus on making, you know, just as many balls as possible, putting her under pressure. And golf was like, no, give me something to focus on. Give me a side specifically. And her dad was so patient saying, look, don't overthink this. Seriously, just we said the more we make her run, the more likely we are to win. And I love it when it's a we mentality. That's, you know, that show it is a team out there. And I mean, she's 15 years old. The maturity from her, it, it, there's a reason she's the youngest since uh, Nicole Vitasova in 04, right? It, this doesn't happen often. You don't just see 15-year-olds winning each and every year. 
And so, yeah, she's special. I mean, technically, are there things I don't like? Yeah, I still don't love her forehand. I'm just being honest. I think it's going to have to get better. I think that backswing's big, but just physically what she can do, the fact that she makes so many balls when under pressure, special talent. I mean, again, we talk about best of the decade when we look forward to the 2020s. She's someone we'll circle on the WTA side without question. Yeah, and she executes, man. Really, that's that's what's so crazy about it at her age is, you know, there's players where you can see the talent, you know, there's flashes, um, you can tell that they're going to be good players in the future, but, I mean, Goff executes now at 15, and, and that is so hard to do. I mean, we're talking the highest level WTA, and she's out there executing very, very well at 15 years old. I mean, that's just me. That's, that's the most incredible thing. You know, obviously her physical skills, the way she moves around the court, you know, she's not the first to come around like that. I mean, we've seen players like that before, but there's a lot more that goes into it. And it's just the fact that she can, she can go out there mentally stay in these matches. We saw her do it, you know, at Wimbledon, then the U S open, um, you know, now we're, we're finishing 2019. She wins this tournament. It's, it's pretty crazy, man. I'm just, I'm looking forward to, to her future because I just, I think it's really bright. Yeah, I, I would, I would agree with you. I think that's why she's last, you know, that's why she's gotten so much attention because everyone's so intrigued to see where she goes in the future. Uh, but with that in mind, just two more things I want to mention real quick and then get a prediction from you. But in Tianjin, Rebecca Patterson ends up going to the titles. Uh, she, I believe, gets a straight set win in the final uh, to, for for that. And then you look again with Challenger in uh, Fairfield. You know, we had Steve Johnson, the number one seed, make the final, uh, ultimately losing to number 12 seed Christopher O'Connell, 6-4, 6-4 quick conversation with you about college tennis want to just get your thoughts briefly on two things number one Brandon Nakashima the rising UVA sophomore not at the ITA All-American he is in fact in uh, he was in Fairfield playing this event where he knocks off in order Ulysses Blanche Dennis Novikov number six seed James Duckworth who comes into this tournament as the number 149 player in the world number four seed Taro Daniel who comes into this event as the number 127 player in the world 7-6-7-6 before losing in in the semifinals to Stevie Johnson, three six six one six two. You look at Nakashima and his run of success recently because he has been playing a bunch of professional events. I mean, the guy has had a good summer without a doubt. You just look at the different things he's he's played in. I mean, he's still got a Charlottesville challenger to play indoors, but he makes quarterfinals in Tiburon, round of sixteen in Kerry. Um, you know, this sort of, and then with this semifinal here, those are the sort of results you want to, con, you know, sort of uh, confirm that your level is on the rise. And then you look at him now in the live rankings, you know, with barely any matches under his belt, he's already top 500. He's at number 487 in the live rankings. So, A, I want your thoughts on Nakashima because I talked a little bit about it last week. But B, your Brandon Nakashima, given the fall you've had, chances you go back to college are. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up, Gruskin. I really am, because I've, I've been thinking about uh, Brandon Nakashima a lot recently. I did get a chance last year. He obviously played in the ACC at UVA. I watched him a good bit. Um, I love this guy. I think his game is phenomenal. I had a blast watching him play last year. Um, overall, yeah, I mean, he's got all the shots. He moves well. He has very, very solid off the ground. He can serve. He can finish points at the net. He's got a really solid overhead. 
uh, mentally tough. I really, I like everything about him. There, there's no way that he's coming back. He, he's not playing. He's not playing college tennis again. No way. Really? No way. I, so some context. He's a freshly turned 18, so he's still young, and he's had a year of college under his belt. On his team, you obviously have a guy in Carl Soderlund who's the number one player in the country, right? It's not like he'd be lacking for players to practice with. Number two, you know, we've seen all the UVA guys who were four-year UVA students go on to have success on the ATV Tour, so he's got that to fall back on. But number three, you think 487, that's the number. You think that number is good enough? He's like, you know, I mean, because I, I agree with you. I think the level's there. There's no doubt. Even if this guy doesn't turn pro now, he will have a pro career in tennis. There's just no, you, you watch him play. He's too solid at too many different things. But you think physically, he's 18 years old. So he's not sacrificing the prime of his career. He's still really, really young. You don't think he runs it back for one more year? Nope. I don't, and I, I don't want him to. I, for his own benefit, I, I don't think it's. I don't think it would help him. I, I don't think it would be beneficial for him to come play for Virginia again this year. I mean, look, the level, the level over the past few weeks that we've seen out of him. I mean, look, he took a set off Steve Johnson. He beat Taro Daniel, who's a top, who really is a top 100 player in the world. I know he's not currently. You said 127, but he's been top 100. Um, no, he's playing at a level, man, where. He, he's got to he's got to go. I mean, he's competing with guys that, you know, at the college level, it's just I, I don't see it. I, I don't like it. If if I'm him, you got to go. You got to go. And I, and I fully I expect. I him can't to. speak to them. The the only question is the financials, right? Which we can't speak to because we don't know. Although I should say a little sneak peek. I believe we're going to have Brandon Nakashima on the podcast later this week, cracked interviews wise. So be on the lookout for that. But I would always think. Top 400, you know, depends how he does in Charlottesville, if he gets wild cards or special exemptions into some of the other indoor American challengers down the home stretch. You know, top 400, you really think about it. Top 300, top 300, you're wasting time going back. Like, if you're top 300, just go. But he is 18. He's, he's a fresh 18. He's 18. He's he's rising, though, man. Yeah, Here's the thing. True. Like, he, he's consistently rising. Like, let's see where he's at after Charlottesville. I, he could be top 400. I mean, that's the thing. I, I don't think... You know, by the time January rolls around, it's just he's going to be at the point where where he's got to go. I'm telling you, man, I, I watched a lot of this guy play, and he was awesome to have in college tennis. I, it was it was great, but for him, I think he's got to go. I just, I really do. Yeah, and a Kalamazoo finalist, former world junior number three. The pedigree is there. As you're, you're saying, the results are there, so ride that wave of momentum, baby. I totally see uh, where you're coming from that, but with that in mind, to stick with the theme of college, you talk about some of the other top guys, Brandon Holt, who was in this event, obviously, but uh, we mentioned the Soderlands, the Will Blumbergs of the world, Barbotzers of the world, of course, uh, the Christian Siskards of the world, and then we have our two ITA All-American finalists, a match going on tonight on ESPN. You watch ESPN, whatever it's called nowadays, on your uh, live streaming, the ITL, ITA All-American men's final tonight, where we have Florida's uh, Sam Riffis taking on Texas's Yuya Ito. This is a rematch from the NCAA, I want to say semifinals, where Ito knocked off uh, Riffis at the two singles flight, 6-2, 6-2. Now, obviously, a full year has transpired uh, since then, and I should say, Chris Hallioris of College Tennis Ranks, our, one of our go-to college guy who Matt and I always love to shoot the shit with, uh, he will be in Ann Arbor next week, uh, so I will be talking with him, uh, I think, Tuesday night or Wednesday night, uh, talking a little bit, or talking in more depth about this ITIA All-American, but Matt, last thing I want to ask from you, 
Your prediction for tonight. Riffis, Ito, who you got? I know the answer, but I'll let you answer. Yeah, I'm going Ito. Um, no way! I thought for sure you were going Riffis. No. You surprised me there. Yeah, I, I, I really like Ito. And, you know, I watched him a lot at NCAAs, which is where these guys played uh, back in May. I, I, I never really gave him enough credit. Like, throughout the whole last year, you know, I always thought he was a really solid player. But... What I saw him do in Florida, man, was really, really impressive. I, I, he's even better than I really ever gave him credit for. I think he'll take Riffis out. I, I really do. I like Ito. So uh, Chris and Trevor Fauche, his nephew, uh, now the assistant at Liberty, really good friends with Tanner Stump, the Florida assistant, and I got the chance to talk with them a little bit this year at Kalamazoo, and I kept saying, you know, I think Sam's going to go pro, Tanner. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I just think Sam's going pro. I've watched him play on the Challenger circuit. I've seen the success he's had at Futures, which he had a bunch of in the offseason. Like, I think he's another guy ready to go pro. And, you know, as touted as Nakashima was, Riffis last year as a freshman right up there with him. I mean, those are two of the, you know, five best players in college tennis, given pro results, just given what we've seen from them. I'll take the opposite. I'll roll with the Riffis train. I'll take Riffis and the Lions. You take... Oh, we need a third pick is the problem. So I'll take Riffis, the Lions. I don't know who it is off the top of my head, but right now, give me give me one more case. What's the Edo score while I look up what the women's match is? Um, Edo score, I'm going to go... I'll go three sets. I'm going to say Edo 6-3, in the third. Don't you miss no ad scoring? I'm like so excited to get it back. I'm like, guys, you have no idea. Like, this is going to be crazy. Um, But all right, then. So, oh, beautiful gem of a women's singles final. Can't believe I didn't have this up already. Number 12 seed, in my opinion, one of the best players returning in the country. Pepperdine's Ashley Leahy. Going to take on the number three seed from UNC, which, by the way, UNC had three of the top five seeds of the draw in. Number three seed, Alexa Graham. Number five seed, Sarah Devatella. Number two seed, McKenna Jones. The three seed, uh, Alexa Graham, making the finals in three sets. Three, six, seven, five, six, three over the number 15 seed, Tarati. All right, Graham and Leahy, who you got? Uh, Leahy. I, I think No, yeah. I wanted Leahy. I we can't agree. I, well... <laughs> You're right, but that's who I'm picking, man. I think she's a better big match player. Graham, I mean, Alexa Graham is is very good, but she doesn't even, I mean, she doesn't play number one uh, for UNC. Now, they do have like three top five players, like you mentioned. Um, You know, McKenna Jones plays one at UNC. I don't know, man. I think Davitella plays two. Uh, Yeah, she could. That's, well, you're strengthening my argument here. Uh, no, that I just said I, I wanted to go with Leahy as well. Like, I'm agreeing with you. This is me. But I'm going to take Alexa Graham because for a North Carolina resident to not take someone from UNC is sacrilegious. So I'm happy to call you out on that. All right, I'll take— Call me out. You know where my allegiance lies. <laughs> don't, e- don't even go there. That's disrespectful. Yeah, exactly. I forgot. Go Blue Devils. By the way, shout-out to Nick. We should give him a shout-out. Great result from him. Yeah, yeah, Dubs, man. Him and Sean Scully, semifinals. They got through qualies. Uh, big time result. Didn't they win they like played. six breakers? They did. They won a bunch of breakers. Yeah. So um, some clutch stuff from them. Yeah, hopefully they can, you know, ride that into the season here a little bit. You and Nick go outside and play right now, assuming you haven't had too many beers tonight. What's the score? Uh, 6-0, 6-0. I maybe get five points. <laughs> At the most. When was the last time you beat him in a set? Uh, 
probably when I was about 13 or 14 years old. <laughs> Does that hurt at Maybe all? 12. Sorry to bring up a sore spot. No, man. What do you want me to say? Like, he's, yeah, he's too he's... good. I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I can't beat that guy. So my little brother has his state finals this weekend, and we were hitting today. And I was like, that I was like, oh man, like you made so many backhands today, Alex. Like you were so solid. You gave him the depth and the pacing because <laughs> it's not about making backhands. It's not that I can't make backhands. It's that you know I'm trying to replicate a kid who won the Midwest Close, and it's like I can't be so I can't be trash. I'm trying to give him a real ball to hit, <laughs> and so I got to really lock in. And like I just wasn't missing as much today. I was just like, way to go, Alex. Um, but yeah, he would kick my patootie, so I can only imagine what the. <laughs> number one singles player for duke can do to someone yeah. who's as washed as we are yeah not good man it, it would be ugly and you know what i would just plead the fifth i mean i would default out of that match <laughs> i i'm pulling out no for sure well the one thing that we are not pulling out of is our podcast schedule which is rocking and rolling this week as i mentioned on the top our best of the 2010 series starting off with the best atp seasons of the decade should be released alongside of this mini break monday morning uh we're gonna be doing that once a week now throughout the rest of the uh the, i guess the rest of 2019 uh sundays we'll be recording it'll be on youtube on our cracked rackets domain uh but on the podcast front mini breaks every day this week i'm sure we'll find topics to, to cover from the ITL Americans. There's a few ATP, WTA events, challenger events, and the whatnot to discuss. Of course, if you've missed any of the action, be sure to check out our website, crackedrackets.com, where you can find this podcast, the Cracked Interviews podcast, Great Shot podcast, all up there. Like, rate, subscribe, review, share with your friends. We want to hear what you guys have to say. If you you will disagree with some of my top uh, six seasons, I promise. So just let me hear it. I love the hate. I want to soak in your bad Andy Murray takes. I'm ready to take the brunt of that. So, you know, let it rock and roll. But uh, with that in mind, a uh, huge shout out, as always, to the super, super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westhoff, who as always of an editing job to do and guys you know hundreds of thousands of dollars but with that in mind Manny any final thoughts I don't think so man it was a great weekend uh we'll get ready to roll again we got another week coming up for sure well then for my wonderful co-host Matt the Cracks to Koyak for our super producers Max Fliegner and Daniel Westhoff and from our entire team at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network I'm your host Alex Gruskin Matty what do we tell the listeners That's a break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.